Hello, I'm Dan Mullins and welcome to my weekly podcast. This is a song and dance about El Camino de Santiago, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. Pilgrims walk to gain insight and clarity, inspiration, forgiveness. And if they're true to themselves, they walk for humility. You don't need much to be a pilgrim, a bag on your back, change of clothes, a small medipack, honesty, openness, an ability to be someone you always wished you'd be. A chance especially to talk and to listen in equal measures. El Camino de Santiago translates as the way of St. James. The story goes, St. James travelled to then Iberia, now Spain, after Jesus Christ's death. He carried with him the hopes and dreams of his mentor, and he carried with him a shell to drink from the rivers he crossed. The shell is now an international symbol of pilgrimage, and the blades or feathers of a shell lead to a central point, the heart of growth, if you like. There needs to be a central point of focus. So it is with the pilgrim shell and perhaps pilgrimage. Pilgrims carry a shell, as I said, the international symbol. And I saw a quote this week that I loved. We are like seashells upon the beach, beautiful and unique, each with a story of its own to tell. All roads, all pilgrim roads, pretty much in terms of Caminos, arrive at Santiago de Compostela or St. James under a field of stars. And in Santiago, you'll find other pilgrims celebrating their journey. And it's part of the Camino magic, being able to tell your story, but also to listen to others' stories, not just their long walk, but their journey, their transformation, their coming to terms with history, their rewiring, perhaps their forgiveness, their ability to grow to share, to listen, to be. Perhaps it's a coming to terms with an ability that they never thought they had. Now they're pilgrims. Now you're a pilgrim. Now I'm a pilgrim. The Camino has provided me with untold riches. I've just returned from a tour of the United States and pilgrims welcomed me into their homes. And I mentioned last week I was lucky enough to attend the American Pilgrims on the Camino Gathering 2020. We hugged cried, laughed, sang, played music together and celebrated our place in the global pilgrim community. I've worked really hard to develop what's called a legacy podcast. That is a weekly podcast that doesn't age. You can listen to my podcasts today, tomorrow, next month, next year. They don't age. Well, I received a message this week from Johnny Walker Santiago, and I last spoke to Johnny in March 2017, for goodness sake, three years ago, and it seems like yesterday. Johnny is a guidebook author, a writer, administrator, blogger, and musician, and a pilgrim. And he's part of the incredible group of people behind the UK confraternity of St. James. Now, he and I have never met, yet I consider him a great and dear friend. He approached me this week, with a concept, a different approach, and he's on the line. Johnny Walker-Santiago, welcome back to the podcast. Good morning from Santiago, Dan. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Just give us a paint, a little picture. What's it like in Santiago on this morning? Well, I'm sitting here in my study. I'm looking at the hills of Galicia. I live about seven minutes from the Cathedral of Santiago. On one side of my house lies the Cathedral and at the back of my house, I look onto the hills of Galicia 
The sun is shining. We expect it to be about 20 degrees today. But of course, everyone is inside their houses at the moment. Yeah. So we get to look, we get to look out at the great weather. Mm. Fortunately, I have a terrace where I grow geraniums and other plants, so I can get out and stretch my legs. Galicia remains beautiful, but everyone's inside. Yeah, yeah, it's an it's a new world order, isn't it? And Spain has certainly um, had some tragedy in the last couple of weeks. It's really impacted there quite severely, hasn't it? Well, there's no there's no doubt about that. Spain being close to Italy, but of course, the pandemic is spreading to every country in the world. And you know, just in the last few days, I've been getting messages from friends in the United Kingdom, offering that sympathy to the people of Spain. And I need to say to them, it's in your community as well. Mm. You need to stay indoors. You need to take precautions. And of course, we lament and we grieve for the closure of the Camino this year, but it's got to be that way, Dan. Yeah. And I think the the realisation is starting to dawn on people now. Um, for all of the uncertainty and, and inconvenience, we all know now that in order to keep ourselves and in, indeed our family and friends safe, we need to to shut up shop and, and bunker down for a little while. It, it really is a new well, world right. order. Yeah, yeah. But, and it, it gives you and I a chance to talk exactly. for the first time in three years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, Johnny Walker Santiago, tell me a Camino story. Oh, any Camino story. Go on. Well, well, do you know, I was I was looking back through old videos that I'm posting on Facebook to to just keep people going. And I remember the day on my very first Camino in 2007, I was walking in January on the Via de la Plata. And after a, a couple of weeks, I, my stamina grew. And this one day, you'll know this feeling, you have legs to walk more than you thought you could walk. Well, I ended up walking 44 kilometres into the, into the medieval city of Merida with all its Roman ruins. And I, I, as I was crossing the bridge, the people were leaving work and coming towards me. It was about seven o'clock in the evening and I was exhausted. And I heard this voice, a Spanish voice, crying out, Peregrino. And I looked over and it was a woman. She came over to me. And as it turned out, Dan, she had as little English as I had Spanish. <laughs> And um, she managed to say, where, where did you start? And I told her where it started, and she was astonished. And she said, you know the albergue's closed? And I didn't know the albergue was closed. Anyway, she said to me, do you have a little money? And she rubbed her fingers together, you know, in that, that yeah, sign yeah, of, yeah. Have, of you got, have, you, have you got cash? And I said, <laughs> yes, I do. She said, she beckoned, come with me. And, well, my goodness, she marched me in the door of the parador. Ah. And she... She knocked the desk and she asked for the director. Then out came this man. Well, they spoke in rapid Spanish. And I could, I could hear certain words. And I think she was saying, here is this crazy Scotsman who's walked 44, 44 kilometres to Merida. Give him a room at a good price. Well, he drew himself up and he thought. And then he wrote down on a piece of paper a number and he showed it to me. Well, it was as much as I had paid for a cheap hostel in the days before. And I looked at him, and before I could say yes, and he hesitated, and he said, and of course, sir, we'll throw in breakfast. Oh. Well, <laughs> and this was Dr. Anna. She was a local general practitioner. She was active in the pilgrim movement, and it was a great coincidence 
that she met me and I certainly benefited from that. I get into my room in the Parador, I ran a bath, I took off my boots, my, my jacket, and I get in the bath with all my clothes on. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I'd fallen asleep. Um, and, well, the rest of the pilgrimage is, is now history. Unfortunately, I never met Anna again when I walked into any other city. But I wish her well. That's a great so there's, story. <laughs> there's my wee story to start the day. <laughs> now, when you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, you, you, you pitched to me a different podcast this week. You're going to ask me some questions, and we are going to try to provide well, I thought... some respite in this storm of strife, this coronavirus 2020 storm of uncertainty. Pilgrims have cancelled their plans. It'll be an It'll have, as we know, an incredible impact on the Camino. But my friend Kathy yes. Watkins said to me this week, it's okay, Dan, the Camino is resting. So you were going to ask me some questions, far away. Well, in, the, in that rest period, I thought, on behalf of the pilgrims of the world who listen to your podcast, it's time that we learn more about the Dan behind the ukulele. <laughs> so I'm speaking to you from Santiago de Compostela, Dan. Where, where are you at the moment? I'm in Sydney, Lilyfield, four kilometres from the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And is that where you were born, Dan? No, Tell no. Tell us where you were born. I was born in Toowoomba on the Darling Downs, which is in Queensland, which is about 14 hours north of Sydney. A little to oh well, Toowoomba was a, a, a no. It is now. It's a home. It's about one hundred and twenty-five thousand people now. But back in those days, when I was a boy, it was only about fifty thousand people. It was very cold, very dry. It was really. Uh, it's a wheat country out there. Um, they grow wheat. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And what? And what did your what did your family what did your family do, Dan? Uh, my father was a Farming teacher. Or? No, no, my father ah. was a teacher. Yeah, and so he, 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 I'm one of 11 children. And when he finished his, um, his teaching... My goodness. Yeah, well, yeah. the Catholics. Of course. They were Catholics. <laughs> of course. Irish my, Catholics. My, 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 well, that's my father. My grandparents were Irish, and my, my father comes from a family of 13. So I do understand. Well, there you go. Well, they, we had the cricket team. They had the rugby league team. But we... We, um, Dad, when he finished his um, study, was appointed to uh, one teacher school at a place called Charlton, outside of Toowoomba. Mm. And of the seven students, four of them were his own children. And and then he was transferred into Toowoomba, and that's where I was born in 1966. Yeah, yeah. One of Gosh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of and not when when. Hmm. When did you leave there, Dan? Well, when I was 12 years old, um, Dad took a job as uh, a principal of a provincial high school at a place called Pittsworth, um, which is about mm. two hours outside the Queensland capital, Brisbane. Um, that's very dry, very uh, very barren country out there. And uh, we were there for two and a half years. And then at 14 and a half, I moved to Brisbane, to the capital and finished my last two and a half years of school at a private school on the, south, on the banks of the Brisbane River, which was really quite a shock to the system to come from the country into the city. Um, and then Brisbane, um, the capital of Queensland. <laughs> and Dan, when you were growing up at home, was there music in the house? Always music in the house. Uh, I, I tell the story that when I was 11, 
her dad brought home a new stereo system and uh, it was a Hitachi. And he used to say, the Japanese know how to make this stuff. And he, he was given the opportunity to take home three albums with him. So you, when you bought the stereo, you got three albums and he bought, he, he, he took home Hot August Night, Neil Diamond, The Best mm. of the Beach Boys and The Best of Simon and Garfunkel. And I listened to those three records over and over and over and over. Dad was a big Johnny uh, Santo and Johnny fan. Um, he loved mm. the Weavers and the Seekers. He loved the Platters. Um, and then, of course, being one of 11 children, I had four older brothers, four older brothers. So there, were, there was always music in the house. And, and I was, when I was growing up, they were playing Cat Stevens and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and... And, and, Kat, and Van Morrison and all of those songs and, and that just became part of who I am. I, I know all those songs. I can sing them all night from start to finish. And then when, when, did, you, when, was, when did you first have a musical instrument in your hands? Well, and I, was it the ukulele? No, 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 it wasn't. And, and, and what happened was um, in year eight, so that's the first year of high school, um, Dad said, um, I want you to play the trumpet. And I just wasn't very good at it. I really wasn't. I, I was. Well, I was, Dan, can I interrupt you? Yeah. My, my youngest, my youngest daughter, started off playing the trumpet, and she was wildly enthusiastic about it. And me and my wife and her sister and all of the neighbours clubbed together to persuade her to change the instrument to something else. <laughs> So I've got an intervention. A lot of <laughs> <laughs> an intervention, a trumpet intervention happens all the time. Well, I didn't quite have the intervention, but Dad said, you know, you might like to think about something else. But then when we moved to the city, um, I didn't know anybody. And it was a long summer. Australian summers are very long. And when you're a teenager, if you don't know anybody and you've just moved from the country to the city, it can be very boring. And my dad was always um, keen to say, or, or, or he would say, "Stop your belly aching," and mm. and he said, "Stop your belly aching. Learn the guitar or something." So just like that, I sat at the end of the bed, um, worked out a couple of chords, and my uncle had been in the uh, in the seminary, and they had a songbook uh, called Buncha Culture, B U N C H A. Buncha culture, C U L K U L C H A, Buncha culture, and it had all the all the the songs that I knew when I was growing up, all the Cat Stevens songs, all the John Denver songs, and everything. And there were the chords written above the words. And and I, by the time I went back to school when I was fifteen, I could play all of the songs, every song, and every, and I can still play every single one of them today. Wow! Mm. And what we thought we would do in this conversation is play some of your music and the first song that you've picked is Ellis County. Can you tell us why you've why you selected that, Dan? Buddy and Julie Miller are an American couple, um, singer-songwriters. Buddy Miller played with Emmylou Harris on her record called uh, Wrecking Ball, uh, was produced by Daniel Lenoir, who had worked with U2, uh, and they went away then and recorded this record called um, Written in Chalk in the front room of their house in Nashville. Uh, 
And the great thing about this song is it's just recorded live with them clapping hands, playing guitars, singing the way that they felt at the time. And it's just, it's just to me, perfect. This is Ellis County by mm. Buddy and Julie Miller.
the lyric there, John, is I can feel the kiss of my mother and I had all my sisters and brothers, which to me is, is, it is wonderful. It's so special. You know, can, I'm going to throw something at you. You say on your blog, and I've, I've, read it, I've read it this week, the Camino is a church where to lighten the load, you can forgive your own sins and those who have sinned against you. And you say the Camino is a church where everyone's equal. There are no bosses. And the Camino is a church where you can pray, think or meditate when you want or not. And I agree with that a thousand percent. And you say the Camino is a church where the choir is the dawn chorus of birds in the trees and sheep bleating in the meadow. I just love that. That's really, really beautifully written. You... Part of the deal here was you were going to bring along a couple of pieces of music. What have you got to play for us? As you know, I'm a church musician, so I've yeah. been involved in the church my whole life. But the, the truth of the matter, Dan, is that I found faith really quite difficult. And But when times are tough, and times are tough now for the world, I look to music for inspiration. And... There's a piece of music by Mozart, Laudati Dominum, Praise oh. the Lord, oh. which is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. It says to me there is actually something much greater than you, John, something much greater than all of us. And the version that I've chosen is to be sung by a Swiss soprano, Rachel Harnish. And, well, it takes me to another place, hopefully you too.
John, that is absolutely breathtaking. Let me ask you something, if I may, and I know that we had a kind of agreement that you'd sort of interview me as well, but... Don't worry, Dan, I've got more questions. (laughs) (laughs) You walk a lot. Indeed, you're still writing guidebooks. Do you pray much when you walk? Um, Well, it's what we do. We're pilgrims. It's what we do. We walk and we think and we try to pray and... You know, I had in my mind this conversation where somebody says to me, um, do you pray when you walk? And I say, yes. And they say to me, but do you know that there might not be anybody listening? And I say, I don't care. (laughs) And I think that's the same for a lot of pilgrims. We don't know and we don't care, but we walk and we reflect and we pray. And it's what we do. It's what pilgrims do. When I was a boy, I remember my mum saying to us after dinner, um, kneel down, we're going to say a rosary. And, mm. I would, and I would think, oh, goodness, you know, I've got homework to do, I've got stuff to do. But we would sit down as a family, or kneel down rather, as a family and say the rosary. And mm. I would think, gosh, this is, you know, this is so tiresome. But then I think back now on it and I wonder, wasn't that a lovely thing to do as a family? To have a common devotion and how rare it is today yes i think it was of 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 our parents generation dan um my father was a catholic so i was brought up a catholic but my mother was very staunchly presbyterian but to give her a jew she used to get me up for mass in the morning and make me say my evening prayers but the world has changed, television's taken over, computer games have taken over. And I think in many ways the human race is searching for an expression of spirituality and searching for a spiritual way of life. Hence the Camino becomes busier and busier and busier every year every year. I don't know if that's your feeling as well. There's no question about that. Having just come from the, the, the Camino gathering at Lake Tahoe in the United States, it was just so lovely to be in a room with all the people there with the one intent, the one, the, the mm. one spiritual kind of gathering was all about telling one another, you know, what you're doing and what I'm doing is so fantastic. It was just so lovely. It was really, yeah. really lovely, yeah. Yeah. Ask me some more questions. Um, Come on. Well, Dan, whenever, whenever I... I have contact with you. You speak really fondly of your family. You've got a wife and children. Yeah. 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 Well, my... tell us about them. <clears throat> well, we all my... want to know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, uh, my wife Jennifer is the senior designer at the number one magazine in Australia. Um, and how did you meet Jennifer? Well, good question. Gosh, now we're going back. I was playing a, who, sh- a who show. Asked, who asked? Who asked? Who out, Dan? Well, what happened was I was playing a show at a venue in Sydney called Selena's, which in those days was probably the biggest rock and roll venue in town. There was an American singer songwriter in, uh, who had come to Sydney, a guy called Matthew Sweet, and I was opening for him. Full house, packed to the gills. And I walked out, you know, he had a full rock and roll band. This was a big show, but I walked out just with an acoustic guitar, sang on my own just with the acoustic guitar for all these, well, may have even been 2,000 people. 
and mm. slayed them, killed it, was great. Jennifer was up in the, uh, in the corporate box and said, hey, I like that guy. I could marry that guy. And we met later that night. The rest is history. And we married mm, five years later. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now, Dan, a, a personal question. Yeah. Would Jennifer say that Dan Mullins is a romantic man? Hmm, very good question. Yes. Yes. So tell us, Dan, tell us, what was the, what was the last romantic thing that you did with Jennifer? Golly, no. Come on now, be honest. That's a very good question. Look, I, I make dinner. I work in breakfast radio, so I'm up at 3 o'clock every morning. I sit at my desk at a quarter to four every morning. So I'm at home at 11 o'clock in the morning. And every day my children have come home. They're now 18 and 16. Every day my children come home, I'm there for them. Their dad is home every afternoon that they come home from school their entire lives. And so I cook the family meal from five till six o'clock every night. And every night my wife walks in the door at six o'clock, there are candles on the table for dinner. Every night. Wow. Every really? Night. Every night we sit down to a table and there are candles on the table every night. So there you go. That's a little bit of romance, isn't it? Absolutely. Every night. And what's, what's, the, what's your pièce de résistance in the kitchen? What's the, what's the dinner that you would cook up? John, have you not heard of my fish pie? Did, <laughs> did John Briley not tell you about my fish pie? News of your fish pie has not has not yet reached Santiago. Then I'm sorry to disappoint you. No, I'm I'm famous for my fish pie, um, and uh, it's pretty good. Look, I, I being a dad of of two teenage boys these days, I'm making um, food that that feeds the masses. It's got to be the loaves and the fishes. Um, yeah, of course. But every night we sit down as a family to dinner at six o'clock. No phones, no television, no nothing, just us, candles on the table, and we sit down together, which I think is romantic, I think. Mm. And do you sing together as a family, Dan, if I may ask? Not really. No, not really. Mm. Um, my boys are a bit sort of shy. Or do, or do the boys say, oh, no, here he goes again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Well, well, actually, Jen was in rock bands when I met her. She was a bass player in, in rock bands around Sydney at the time when, and we were musicians at the same time. We were contemporaries, if you like. Um, mm. And the boys are, are both musicians. Riley, the, my youngest, plays the cello. Um, Lewis has been in bands now. Well, he's 18. He's been in bands for three or four years. But not really together. Not really. It's not something mm. we do. I think they kind of well because I do it. I, I I play like eighty to a hundred times a year. So Friday and Saturday nights, Sunday nights, Sunday afternoons, I'm out playing. I'm off doing four hour shows here, there, everywhere in pubs and clubs. So I guess they think you know the last thing he wants to do when he gets home is sing. So and then in, in this busy life, how important is faith to you? Faith. Yes. Well. That's a very, very good question, John. I think that uh, I've come to realise in the last 
12 to 18 months, that there are really three parts to it. Religion, spirituality, and faith. Mm. Religion is, to me, Catholicism. And I remember standing in the, I don't know who is buried or who is in the tomb underneath the Burgos Cathedral. Mm. But it's a very grand room. And standing there looking at all of the glass, uh, uh, through the glass at all of the gold artefacts and stuff. I think even a pair of Pope Leo's gold shoes were there when I, the day I was there. It was quite extraordinary. But I walked backwards. I hope, and, you, didn't, I hope, you, didn't, hope you didn't try them on. <laughs> That's right. I, as I walked backwards, kind of, I, well, I didn't even realise I was walking backwards, but my energy just sort of drew me away from it, I guess, and something hit me in the back and I sort of turned and it was the feet of of a life-size crucifix. It was, it was Jesus' nailed feet kicking me in the back. Well, not kicking me in the back, but had touched my back. And I, I sort of thought, oh, gosh. And a German pilgrim said to me, I don't really think this is what he had in mind. And I remember then trying to walk out of the cathedral with that in mind. And when I got outside, they had charged me, a pilgrim, four euros to go into the cathedral. And when I walked out, there was a young woman there with a hand dirty, her nails filthy, with her hand out asking for money. And I thought, well, there's most probably going to be three or four services today inside the cathedral here where they're singing the Beatitudes. And yet here's a woman at the front door with a hand out. And I, I got this overwhelming sense that that was re- the religion, kind of corporatization. Yes. And, and I didn't feel comfortable with it from that moment on. The spirituality, I think, is very much um, trying to find, I try to find somewhere for my soul to have a bit of a dance. Um, and if I can, I think I've had a good day. As for faith, well, I think that's love. I think faith really, if you believe in the teachings of Jesus Christ, forget about the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, forget about the corporatization of it all. In my view, it's about love. And, and if you can, well, in, again, I'll say it again, in my view, if you... In my, from my perspective, let me put it that way, uh, I, faith to me is love. It's just as simple as that. And Dan, the next piece of music which you've chosen in many ways sums all of that up. The great hymn, How Great Thou Art. Why does that hymn speak to your heart so particularly? My father was a great singer. But but never performed. If you, you know when when there was always when, when there was <clears throat> singing taking place, my father would sing at the top of his lungs. Mm. And I always remember uh, that none of us would need to pick up the songbook <laughs> when you, you, they slide the little cards into the the holder at the front, you know, of the church on the, one of the pillars of the church. 
you would look up and see the numbers of the of the hymns for that mass. They would slide the little yeah. cards in. They would see 122 or 88 or 33 or 3 or whatever. And whenever we knew, we knew, I can't remember what the number was now for how great thou art, but when it was there, we saw it. We knew it. We didn't have to pick up the, mm. the songbook. And, and, and mm. so it is with, with men. There is, there's like a handful of from hymns from, the, from my childhood. Uh, at the Camino gathering um, in America, uh, I, a couple of the, uh, the, the pilgrims got up and danced and I, I joked and said, um, oh, this is not liturgical dancing, is it? You're not expecting me to play Lord of the Dance. And it's like, because mm. we all know. That was a big part of yes. our lives, yeah. Singing like that was all a huge part of our lives. So here's How Great Thou Art. Oh, Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the works thy hand hath made I see the stars, hear the mighty thunder, the power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wonder, I hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze then sings my soul my Savior God how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and their proclaim my God how great thou art Sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art.
John, I hope I, I haven't been out of line um, offending anybody in terms of my assessment of faith, but um, but that's what that's, that's the way I feel. Yeah, it's very touching, Dan, and I think it will I think it will touch a lot of pilgrims because I think we in the pilgrim world are slightly at odds with the formal formal religion, and we try to find our we try to walk our own way to our God as we come to understand God to be. But just when you were speaking there, um, you mentioned this busy, busy musical schedule that you've got. Yeah. How many performances in one year? Uh, you bet- said? Between 80 and 100, easily. Yeah. You see that? Uh, but Dan, tell us a wee bit about your musical history. Was it always like that? Or, oh, gosh. or were you a poor, music, a poor musician not able to pay the rent at one point? Oh, well, yes and no. Um, so when, uh, well, let me go right back. When I left high school, I was a policeman for two and a half years. And no. Yes, I was. Actually, with, when, a, with, a uni, with a uniform? Yes, yes. With a gun on and my waist you, and you, everything. Did you arrest anybody? Of course I did. Yeah. My God, you're such a nice man, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you've, but, you've recovered. <laughs> <laughs> recovered. But so, so remember I said that when I was um, 14, Dad said, stop your belly aching and learn how to play the guitar. Mm. Well, when I got to school then, this was a brand new school, I didn't know anybody. And we couldn't afford mm. to buy the school uniform. So I had come from a country, what they call a state school, and gone to a private school. So I was still wearing the state school uniform. So he was a school in the city of 1,600 children, and I'm wearing an, a, a uniform that wasn't like everybody else. So I very quickly had to try to prove to them that I was worthy of their respect so I could play the guitar, so I could play those songs from the book Bunch of Culture. So almost yes. immediately I started to sing for them and play for them. And everyone said, hey, oh, he's okay. He can sing and play guitar. So almost immediately I I teamed up with a couple of chaps uh, and one of them called Dance Steps. He would call them Mm. like barn dances. And so I would sing the songs and he would then call the dances. So almost when Mm. I was 15 years old, we were booked and paid to play gigs. So I didn't work flipping burgers. I mowed lawns. No, I didn't. I mowed lawns and played gigs when I was 15 years old and I've been doing it every year since I've not stopped. Um, so really I've been doing it for almost 40 years now. And so... And, and so, long, long may that continue. Well, I, well, let's hope so. So even then, when I went into the police, I still was doing weekend gigs, playing weddings, baptisms, birthday parties, mm. all that kind of stuff. And so on I went. And then after, after I left the police, I had to do something, I had to find something. And so I ended up working at what's called Expo 88, which was a big celebration in Australia, that one of the world expos. We had it here in Australia. And the, the, the fellow who I worked for there said, um, I've got the license for a pub in the city and I'm going to have live music every Friday night. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Who's playing this Friday night? And he said, you are. And, wow. I, and I said, but I don't have any. I, he, he said, you're playing. So I played that Friday night. 
He said, come back Saturday night. On the Saturday night, a fellow said, can you come and play tomorrow at the Gold Coast? So I did three gigs in that first weekend. Within three months, I was doing nine shows a week. And I did that full time for nine years. And in those nine years, I did 400 shows a year. Mm. And I toured pretty much nonstop. Um, had terrific success, played with some of the biggest names in the world, um, was on television, was on radio, had hits, all that kind of stuff. And then in the late 90s, um, the industry died because the state government here decided to take, uh, and I think Americans call them slot machines. I'm not sure what they're called in the UK. They're called poker machines yes. here. Slot, slot machines. They put them into the pubs in Australia, whereas once upon a time they were only ever in clubs. So pubs needed live music every night of the week to draw people in and they killed the industry overnight in one fell swoop. So I had to get a job and that's how I ended up in radio. <laughs> and that was in the late 1990s. So there you go. <laughs> and, Dan, you, you've, you've recently launched your debut album. Can you tell us about that? Well... As, you, as I'm sure you're aware, I was walking the Masetta in 2017 with a guitar on my back and started singing somewhere along the way, somewhere along Don't the way. Don't sing it to us. Right. It's so good that we'll be going round in all of our heads <laughs> all day after, and, after we hear it. Well, I'll tell you a little story about it in a minute. But uh, And so I, I came back and recorded that song. It did very well, not just in Australia but around the world. And the video did very well. And so I, I felt that, that it, it needed a home. That song needed a home. So I, a friend of mine, two and a half hours north of Sydney, has a studio at a place called Newcastle. I went up there and recorded it and it, it was great, but it wasn't – it was good, but it wasn't great. Um, so, <laughs> I th- uh, uh. so I said, no, trust your instinct. Trust your instinct. So I went back into the studio where I had recorded somewhere along the way. Uh, I used no computers. Um, I used vintage microphones. Most of the microphones were 50, 60 years old. We recorded to two-inch tape. That's plastic with magnetic stuff on it. And we went right back to basics. And what we ended up with was an album that I was like, I was super proud of. And... I finished it, we did the artwork and everything, and the remarkable story about this is that I was flying um, to a place in remote North Queensland to sing somewhere along the way for drought-affected farmers who had been flooded. They'd had seven years of drought and then they, they were flooded. The area that I went to, John, was the, the area underwater was bigger than the United Kingdom. And I sang the song and I came home on the flight with a with an Australian guy, a guy called Mark Vincent, who's probably our our most famous tenor in Australia. He's only a young guy. Mm. And the fellow I worked for on the radio said uh, to Mark, you should sing on Dan's record. And he said, oh, sure. You know, he's a big star. He's sold 700,000 records or something. And... He ended up saying, yes, I'll, do, I'll sing the record. The, a guy from Sony, Sony Music Australia, said, rang me. He said, who do you think you are? Who are you? What, 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 is, what is this? And I said, well, I, look, look I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. 
And he, he said, send over your record. We'll have a listen. And, you know, I said, let me just say this to you. If it's rubbish and you think it's rubbish and I'm wasting your time, I won't be offended. I'll run a line through the whole thing and we can forget about it. Mm. No hard feelings. He rang me two days later, called me up, said, come and have a coffee. I went over and had a coffee with him. He's this is the head of A&R, what they call A&R, which is artist and repertoire. He's the head, head guy at mm. Sony Music Australia. And he says to me, oh, I really love your record. And I said, oh, that's good. And he said, we're going to put it out. And I said, so, sorry, what was that? And he said, we're going to release the record. So all of a sudden we had Sony behind us. We had lots of people making a song and dance Magic about the whole thing. It was the most incredible uh, thing. Yeah. And it got to number two. And the, al- yeah. the album is called Duende. Yeah. And we should explain to people about the background to the word Duende then. Yeah. Because you, you and I discussed this when we were chatting on, on Messenger one night because I heard you singing and I, I thought to myself, this man has duende. And the Spanish use the word duende. Duende could be a goblin or a little a leprechaun. Yeah. But it's also a spirit. And it's the spirit which gets inside the musician or gets inside the flamenco dancer where they become the musical instrument. And everything is expressed by that spirit. And I think you have music living inside you, Dan. And I think you must be aware of that. It's so difficult sometimes to contain. And it's so difficult to maintain... Um, no, not, not maintain is not the right word. But, but it's so difficult to... to Go to work in a nine to five job, even though I work three to three to midday, whatever. But go to work in that mm. daytime job, knowing what your heart and soul is telling you is you ought to be singing and playing for people. And yes. and and just again, I go back to America, and you know the the, the pilgrims there. I don't. Know, there was maybe two hundred people there, two hundred fifty people there. And I think Sarah and Yosma, who organised it, thought, oh, we'll have dancing a few songs, you know, on the Friday night or the Saturday night or whatever. And three songs in, they're all saying, oh, my God. He, <laughs> you could actually do it. He, he, like he, he's, uh, he's not mucking around, this guy. And, yes. and, and so ten songs in, they're going, holy smokes. And, and 15 mm. songs in, they're all standing up, they're, they're all, the whole crowd standing on their feet. And, Excellent. And, and, and so, and the last five songs, everyone's singing every word of every song. You know, and then, <laughs> and, and then Sarah says to me, can you come back tomorrow night and play tomorrow night? And we did it again the, the following night. So having the ability to actually do it is, I, I, I sometimes yes. say, I sometimes smile at people and say, it's a good party trick. And they say, oh, Dan, come on. But it is. It's a good party trick. But, Dan, the other thing, not just music, which is inside you, the Camino to Santiago is inside you. Yeah. Inside all of us who have walked the Camino. How did your association with the Camino start? Where did, it, where did, where did you hear about it? Well, um, uh, my mother was a doctor of theology, uh, or is a doctor of theology, and had quite a library, and she had Shirley MacLaine's book, The Camino, there. 
and in 2020, mm. I think 2006 I read it um, in a day. It didn't really make much sense to be completely honest. And then in 2010 my little brother Benedict um, died. And so I was back at mum's and sort of searching for answers and not really finding any and indeed I don't think I have still to this day found any but anyway. And I sort of looking at all those old books, the books that have been there since I was a kid, and there was the Camino again. And so I read it, and so that was 2010. And then in 2016, um, so some years later, I was due to go to the Olympic Games in Rio and the radio station exploded mm. and, and it all, all fell in a heap. And the boss said, have three weeks off. And I said, well, I can't have three weeks off. My children are at school. And my wife said, why don't you do that silly walk that you've been talking about for years? And I said, nah, nah that's not really going to happen, I don't think. And I was due to turn 50 in six weeks' time. And so when I came home a couple of days later, the ticket was on the kitchen bench, a gift from my family. And I arrived mm. in Santiago in 2016 on my 50th birthday. Wow. But but walking that first Camino, meeting the people I met, talking to people, sharing their experience, being the listener, mm. being the comforter, um, having someone listen to me, having someone comfort me, having a Camino angel or or indeed two or three on that trip and being someone's Camino angel, um, I got home and I just knew I'll never be the same again. And then can you describe, I realise it's a very personal question, Dan, but we speak about the transformation that occurs from what to what? In what ways have you changed, do you think? I think more than anything, you realise that very little that you worry about matters. Mm. I think that... An Walking the Camino, and then I went back, of course, in 2017 and walked for six weeks from Lourdes to Santiago. The opportunity just to live that simply, I call it lean and serene, that you can can not experience it anywhere else. Well, certainly I haven't found it anywhere else. Um. I was on Whidbey Island off Seattle, not even 10 days ago now, and walking with Andy Holloway who lives out there and we went up on a big walk up into the – he called it a bluff. I've never heard of that word before, mm. bluff. I don't know what a bluff yeah. is. But anyway, we walked up on this bluff and it was beautiful and it was gorgeous and it was peaceful and it was windswept and it was everything that a Camino is like – but it wasn't the Camino. And I just wonder how much emphasis we ought to place on those people who have walked before us and the energy, their energy. It really is something so special 
um, I can't put it into it words. Touches, yeah, it touches the soul. It touches the soul. It does indeed. In the same way, it occurs to me then that so much of our, our our music comes from the music of the spirituals, and your next piece of music, Kumbaya, my lord is something which speaks to everybody and it's something that we all know. Yeah. And you tell the story, your, your boss said mm. when you were going off to the United States, we'll have to cover for Dan while he goes to sing Kumbaya to all his pilgrim friends. Mm. But I think Kumbaya probably has a greater meaning for you. Why have you chosen it? Well, uh, when, when I was a boy, uh, we were taught by nuns, um, by St. Joseph's sisters, and on a Thursday afternoon, they would give us a songbook, put a cassette into a tape deck and press play. And they would say, turn to page four. And you would turn to page four, you know. And then you would sing, well, what kumbaya. And they, they would say, right, now turn to page eight. And you would sing, you know, another song. And, and, and so kumbaya was always there. But... The, the great thing about John, that story is that when I told that story at the Camino conference in the United States last week, I said, you know, my boss said to everybody, we have to cover Dan while he goes to sing Kumbaya with his pilgrim friends in America. And everyone went, oh, you know, they cheered and laughed. And I said, so what do you think? Let's do it. And they jumped out of their chairs. <laughs> it was amazing. Every single person yeah. in that room was singing and cheering and singing that song at the top of their lungs. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I'll sing it for you. Hang on a second. Someone's crying, Lord. Oh, someone's crying, Lord. 
Now, John, look, you say the Camino is the church which is never full up. Come along, yes. come along, there's room for you too. I, I love that, that, that. That's about as perfect a quote as I could find in all of your writing. The Camino is the church which is never full up. Come along, there's room for you too. Why don't you play us another piece of music? Well, my last piece of music, my second and last piece of music, um, I'm just back from Camino only about 10 days and I've been locked up in my house ever since. And I started off walking from Cordoba to go to Merida. I'd walked from, I'd walked from Seville to Zamora earlier in the year and I, I met up with a bunch of people. There were five of us walking And of course, as each day passed, more news of the spread of the virus Mm. reached us Mm. and people became alarmed. And you know, when you're walking with people, you become close to them, you talk to them and so forth. And anyway, we managed to get the Dutch lassie home via Lisbon, another Dutchman. He went back by another route. A woman, a lovely woman from Finland, Irie. Her son was very worried about her and we managed to change her flights and so forth. And as I arrived in Merida, the lockdown was starting. All the bars and restaurants were closing. And just in that last day, I looked back on this empty Camino. And by that point, we had realised what was happening in the world. And a song came to my mind. Now, I was born in 1952, so after the Second World War ended, but very quickly, by the age of eight or nine, I was playing the piano in a concert party. And, of course, all the older people wanted to sing the war songs. And one of them stuck in my mind, and it could not be more appropriate for our beloved Camino. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know Mm. when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through, just like you always do. Far away 
much that I know Tell them I won't be long They'll be happy to know That as you saw me go I was singing this song We meet again Don't know where Don't know when But I know we'll meet again Some sunny day piece of music because I just not long ago watched a documentary about the war and was it, I think she's still alive? Is she Vera Lynn? She is Vera Lynn. In is she still alive? Now, yes. Yeah. Yes, she she might even be in her 100s, John. Musicians are indestructible, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I love well, that. We hope so. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, 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 this Camino thing, it's become your life. But what's motivating you, John? You asked me before, what is it about the Camino that burns in me? What is it that keeps you true? Well, I've tried to write about this and it's a difficult thing to express. I suppose um, I feel as if um, we play very many roles in life, fathers, lovers, employers, employees, and so forth. And I feel the most difficult thing in life is just to be yourself. And I find it's when I'm walking, it's when I'm on the Camino, I'm more at one with myself, with my Lord, and with the world than in any other place. So I just keep doing it. It's a great answer. Well, it's it's not easy, though, is it? It is not easy. No. 
And the poor Camino is going through a difficult time at the moment, and Spain is going through a difficult time, as are many other countries of the world. We don't know what's going to happen. People are continually asking, well, will the Camino open up later in the year? Can I book my flights for, for September, for October? We just don't know. And and we have to stand still, we have to stay at home, we have to stay safe and let this year develop and pray that everything turns out okay. As I have great faith that it will and the Camino has been with us for a very, very long time and will revive and will be part of the answer for the future. What does venceremos, what is that? Venceremos, what is that? Ven- <laughs> venceremos. Venceremos, yeah? What is Venceremos, that? it means we shall overcome. I first learned this, this, this word when we were raising money for medical aid to Nicaragua um, back in, the, back in the, the 70s and 80s. And it's, it's, a, it's a word which is associated with civil rights movements, with change. Whenever humanity is, is confronted by problems, we have to have faith that we shall overcome. I walked into the French town of Arudi in 2017. I stayed with the parish priest, Abbe Pierre, Father Peter. And he had a picture on the wall and I said, ah, St. Joan, Abbe Pierre. He said, no, no, no. And he led me into the parlour at the front of the presbytery and he pointed to a picture behind me and said, my St. Joan. And I turned around, it was Joan Baez. And I sang this song. Yeah. And this is a heartfelt message at this difficult time around the world. Say the word again, John, because I won't say it right. Venceremos. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday Oh, oh, with my heart Oh, I do believe We shall overcome someday We walk hand in the one that 
down in Montgomery, Alabama. They said, we are not afraid. And the young people taught everybody else a lesson. All the older people that had learned how to compromise and learn how to take it easy and be polite and get along and leave everything as they were. The young people taught us all a lesson. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid today. Oh, in my heart, oh, I do believe we shall overcome someday. In the whole wide world around, whole wild world around, whole wide world around, someday. Oh, deep in my heart, oh, Could I ask a favour? Could you close this podcast with some words from my address at the American Pilgrims on the Camino gathering? Of course not. There are so many songs to sing, so many melodies to discover. Embrace the future. Enjoy your place in the global Camino family. Reach out, share and care. Get lost, be found. We shall overcome together. I hope you find what you're looking for somewhere along the way, John. I'm sure I will. (laughs) And remember, we're like seashells on the beach, beautiful and unique, each with a story of its own to tell. Thanks, John. My pleasure, Dan. Great to speak to you. You too. And Buen Camino. My guest this week, the British pilgrim, Johnny Walker Santiago. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, Perhaps I'll just finish by saying, I hope you find what you're looking for somewhere along the way. I'm Dan Mullins. Until next week, Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere.